So, how many of you have invested in tokens? How many of you have lost money in tokens? All right, so it's not a completely liar's audience. I like that. The reason I cited that is because uh, since the beginning of 2017, around $12.5 billion has been invested through ICOs. Business Insider recently uh, came out with a report in which they found that 10% of these ICOs were scams. That's one billion right there. Another 38% are failed projects. So almost half of the ICOs that have been launched since the beginning of 2017 are already failures. And the reason for this very high failure rate is because there's a big relationship between speculation and value. Speculation by itself is not a bad thing. Sometimes speculation is good, the market gets it right. And as a result of that, speculation can fund innovation. But when the wisdom of the crowd turns into the tyranny of the herd, then speculation can become an economic parasite and remove value and destroy businesses. Since the 17th century, the tulip mania right up to the financial crisis, the history of capitalism has got multiple examples in which speculation has destroyed value. And because we've been doing it for so long, we've created tools and methods in order to kind of figure out how to go about making a good investment decision when you look at any kind of financial asset. One of the people who had a big role to play in this was Benjamin Graham. So in 1934, in the midst of the Great Depression, Benjamin Graham came up with this book called Security Analysis. This book laid the foundation for corporate finance, technical analysis, fundamental analysis, all those things that we do today in order to evaluate the price of an asset. And in the book, Graham went ahead and said that any security, especially a stock, has got two ways of getting valuated. The first is an intrinsic value, and the second is a speculative value. The market will always set the price to a certain extent. But the intrinsic value is something which can be measured, it's relatively stable, and it's based on fundamental aspects of a business. The reason I'm giving you this little history lesson right now is because when we look at tokens today, almost the entire valuation of a token is based entirely on speculation, right? And as a result of it, you might go to sleep today after having made an investment in a token, the price is $100, the market undergoes a mood change, you wake up tomorrow morning and the value has gone down to zero. Because of this link with speculation, there's a lot of volatility with the token's price. So, it's also led to these kind of actions. Anyone know about pump and dump schemes? This is something that is destroying a lot of value. A bunch of people get together, look at a token, say, let's artificially generate some false demand, rise up the price. When it reaches a certain price point, they sell it to crash the business. So it's not just the token price that is going down, it's the business that's attached to it. No respect is given to what problem they're trying to solve with the token or the business that's attached to it. It's cowboy capitalism on steroids. It's led to a number of desperate measures. So I'm using the, the, the case of uh, the ICO Telegram, uh, ICO, uh, Telegram ICO. Now I know that the ICO got canceled, but I'd made the slide before that happened. So we're just gonna use it. Uh, and when you look at the white paper, what they've written inside over there is 52% of all the funds that they're gonna be getting from this ICO, they were trying to raise 1.2 billion. 52% of that is gonna be kept in storage in order to go against the volatility of the token. Just think about that. They are trying to make censorship-proof 
payments, file transfer, browsing, decentralized app, very, very important things that we require today. But more than half of the money that they raise has to be kept locked up, not for the development of the product, but in order to counteract against this volatility. It's craziness. So what we started to realize as a community was that we require a way in order to figure out this intrinsic value for token, because that gives us a frame of reference. It helps us figure out where the speculation is happening and to what extent. Over the last year, there have been a bunch of people who've been trying to do this. And the way they've been trying to do this is by retrofitting stock evaluation models. Right? It's obviously led to these amusing, violent clashes which happen in the crypto community, which is a lot of fun. Um, but worse than that, what it doesn't take into consideration is that you can't use the same kind of methodology. A token is not a stock. You know, there's no asset. There's no earnings. There's no cash flow. So if you try to retrofit a DCF evaluation method, it doesn't really make sense. It's like comparing oranges to apples. So because of the fact that we were having this issue in terms of trying to understand how we can go about evaluating a token, we said, let's look at the fundamentals of a token. If you can't use the same methods that you're using for a stock, what does a token have that can, can provide us as a, a frame of reference? And what we realized is every kind of a token, because it exists on a completely decentralized network, has got quantitative network effects. Now, network effect is essentially like word of mouth with benefits. I tell you to come and join a certain kind of network, because if you come and join the network, then the value of the network goes up. And the first person to figure this out was Bob Metcalf. So in the late 70s, Metcalf created the Ethernet. Right up to that point, the internet came up to an office, but then it went to the computer room, and there was no way for it to get attached to the PC. Metcalf created the Ethernet, which is essentially a cable with three cards that you plugged inside your PCs, and now you could start exchanging information, you could send a couple of emails, you could use a common printer. The tech worked very, very well. The only issue is it would cost $3,000 a pop, and secondly, how many emails are three people going to send between themselves? So a lot of people went up to Metcalf and said, look, your tech is great. It works really, really well. But we don't really see the benefit of investing in it. And when Metcalf got this information, he said, hold on a second. What these guys are missing out is if there's more and more people on the network, then there's more exchange of information. The productivity and the value goes up. So he went back to Stanford, and he ran a little bit of math, and he came up with this connection between the cost of the network and the value of it. He said, yes, the cost of a network's going to go up linearly as you get more and more units. But the value of the network is going to go up in a quadratic curve. And that's the reason why you should be buying more. So it was a marketing gig to a certain extent. He was the head of sales of 3Com at that time. He essentially came up with this formula in which he said that the value of a network is directly proportional to the square of the number of users. And he put this on a slide, gave it to his sales guys, and the rest, as we say, is history. 3Com went on to, to put the essential plumbing of the internet. And it's created the world in which we live today. Now, when we started looking at this, we started asking ourselves the question, can we start investigating this law? And does this law actually hold on? So 40 years after Bob Metcalf came up with this slide, he went to Facebook. And he said, does this law actually make any sense? And what they found was the same thing. They took 10 years of data, and they looked at the way Facebook was making its revenue, which was a proxy for the value of the network, and they looked at the number of active users. 
and you find this lovely quadratic curve coming up again. This was in 2013. In 2015, you had a couple of uh, Chinese researchers who repeated the same experiment, but with the Tencent network. So Tencent's a very different kind of a network compared to Facebook. Guess what? Same results all over again. As we started looking at this, I was working at this time with a project called the Money by Design Project. And we said, this kind of seems like a good way for us to start thinking about the value of a network and hence the value of a token, the intrinsic value of a token. Thankfully, we went the only smarty pants who were thinking about this. We realized that a couple of researchers from uh, the Swiss Finance Institute and uh, another researcher in, based in the US called Ken Alabi had published articles on this two months back, almost at the same time. So we were pretty sure that we were on the right track. And hence, the connection became pretty obvious to us. Any kind of a crypto asset, especially a token, exists on a decentralized network. If you are trying to find the intrinsic price or the intrinsic value of this token, it has to be related to the value of this network. And when we started thinking about the pricing situation in, terms of, in, in that context, we realized that there were two things that we needed to take into consideration. In order to find the intrinsic price of a token, you first have to take the size of the network, and Metcalf's already helped us with that. But there's a second factor that you have to take into consideration. That's the connectivity. A token is, by definition, a medium of exchange. It's got a, one of the fundamental properties of money. And for a token to function within an economy, it has to be exchanged. Now, because we've got Bitcoin and Ethereum going on for a while, we had a general idea of how many transactions actually occur in these kind of networks. But there was another factor that we had to consider. And we didn't find the, the answer in networks. We found it in anthropology. Anyone here know about Dunbar's number? So Robin Dunbar was an anthropologist and an evolutionary psychologist. And some time back, he published a report in which he said that the total number of interactions, meaningful interactions, that a human being can have with another human being is limited to 150. You can only have around 150 good interactions with people around you. And the reason for that is because Homo sapiens evolved in tribes. As we evolved in tribes, the average size of a tribe was around 150. And hence, it's the reason why you might have 400 or 500 friends on Facebook. But you're never going to go over that limit of 150. Surprisingly, Bob Metcalf found out the same thing when he was doing the analysis with uh, Facebook. So we had two variables now. We knew the size of the network. We knew that there was a certain amount of interaction that normally happened. And now we had an upper limit as to the number of interactions people could make. We mashed all of this up together, and we realized that if you want to price, find the intrinsic price of a token, then it's directly proportional to the number of users raised to the power of one by four. We ran a simulation with that, and we started pretty simple. We said if there's one user on the network, the value of the network's going to be one cent. That's the value of one token. The price, intrinsic price of a token is one cent. As more and more people come and join the network, 10,000, it goes up to 10 cents. 1 million goes up to 30 cents. If I had replaced 10 cents with 1 euro, then at 10,000 it would be 10 euros, at 1 million it would be 30 euros. We saw a nice stable relationship of, the, uh, of how the price was going up as more and more people came in. Essentially what we've done, ladies and gentlemen, is repeat the same thing which Benjamin Graham had done in 1934. We have figured out how to use fundamental aspects of a network 
in order to come up with an intrinsic price of a token. The market is always going to have an effect on the value. But now that you have a frame of reference, you can figure out where the speculation is going and make a much more educated decision, the same way that we do with stocks today. As I come towards the end of my little presentation, what's the use of this? Well, first of all, it's a great bullshit filter. You've seen the way that these crypto economic networks work today. Now you have a frame of reference, a tool that can help you figure out, should I really listen to the market? To what extent has this got some kind of truth in it? So it helps you make a much better educated decision. Moving forward, we think that this is going to become a standard in order to, to develop a token. If you're going to create your own ICO or create your own token, here's one way that you can incorporate our work into the design of the token. And we're going to be publishing all our work uh, in the next couple of weeks. It's going to be completely open source because the blockchain is not just a technology. Uh, it's also a zeitgeist. So we want to be able to contribute as much as we've been able to get back. It makes for better investment strategies because now you have a good frame of reference. And lastly, and this is the reason that I think it's really, really important. Till today, we've not been able to bring the power of the blockchain to large institutions like the UN or the IMF or even central banks to a certain extent. All because of the fact that we can't control the volatility. So they've been using the technology right now to do small things like, I wouldn't say small things, they're important things in terms of improving the efficiency of transfers. But in order for us to be able to create a sovereign level blockchain, we have to be able to assure a certain kind of stability, all of which we're able to do without having large amounts of reserves put in place just in order to counteract against volatility. What the blockchain is essentially doing for us and what ICOs are essentially doing for us, it's changing the narrative. Till today, we've had mechanistic hierarchies which have created wall gardens, which don't allow regular people like you and I to get inside investment. ICOs are changing that entire paradigm and kind of democratizing that, that aspect. But with this democratization comes a certain kind of responsibility. We have to be able to make much better educated decisions on the type of uh, investments that we're going to make, especially in order to counteract against all these nefarious actors that exist today. Uh, our work is a step in that direction. That's why we're putting it online over there, because we want everyone to come and start using it, uh, challenge us, ridicule us if necessary because that's the way this is going to go on. This is going to be the first step in order for us to start developing a much more mature relationship with this technology in order to create a much more democratic definition of capitalism. Thank you very much.